Welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. It's Ryan Brown here. We've got quite the crew assembled today to talk some NBA and Celtics. Anthony Squid Gabriella joins the show along with Jonathan Sullivan and Nick resumes post as producer Nietzsche. Fellas, how we doing? Doing wonderful, doing wonderful. Doing good. All right, let's get into it. We'll start on the NBA league-wide side of things. We've got the first half wrapping up, which means the All-Star game is almost upon us. The All-Star teams have been announced, and let's go through the teams real quick so I can get your guys' thoughts on them. For In the Eastern Conference, uh, for the starters, we're going to have Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, Kyrie Irving. And on the Western side of the starters group, you're going to have LeBron, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, Nikola Jokic. Do you guys have any any thoughts about the starters and how those shook out? Honestly, I think they got it pretty, pretty right. I was, I was, I thought Jalen had a chance at it, but just with how the Celtics are playing, I kind of understand uh, what the starting lineup was in the East. And I don't really, I don't really have any issues with the West either. Yeah. The, the only one that I thought maybe was questionable was Kyrie because he missed, he missed a fair amount of games. But mm-hmm. when you go across the board, it's probably the right, uh, the right 10 that's starting. I tend to agree. And like I said on the cool zone pod uh, last week with Jonathan and Nick, uh, I'm just glad to see Bradley Beal getting some retrospect around here uh, after being completely snubbed from the game last year, getting the starting nod for the first time this year. Uh, glad to see that he's, he's getting some respect amongst the fans and his peers. Uh, for the reserves, you've got in, from the East, you've got our boys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown representing the Celtics. You got James Harden, Zach Levine making his first All Star game appearance. Julius Randle also making his first appearance. Ben Simmons and uh, Nikola Vucevic. And then from the West, you've got Anthony Davis, Paul George, Rudy Gobert. Dame Dollar, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, CP3, and you've got, uh, as Nick and Jonathan like to call him, uh, quote-unquote, the big fat bust known as Zion Williamson making his first overall selection to the All-Star game. Uh, Do you guys have any thoughts on the reserves which were given out by the coaches? Uh, Anyone... Any thoughts? Did, did they get this right? Was anyone snubbed? Uh, Jonathan, go ahead. Um, I, I thought there was two guards, one in the East, one in the West, that I thought was questionable when they made it, and that would be Chris Paul in the West and Ben Simmons in the East. Both of those guys are averaging like 16 points a game. But I guess you could have put Trey Young over Simmons and SGA maybe over uh, Chris Paul, but I think that they really valued – defense and records and the Suns are kind of surprised nice team this year 
Philly's number one in the East and the Hawks and Thunder both stink. So I guess that was the uh, coach's decision when it came to how to evaluate. They put more emphasis on defense and your team's record versus, you know, just offensive uh, firepower. Before I let you go, Squid, man, Jonathan, that you literally stole me word for word aside from who you would have replaced CP3 with. I'm hey. right there with you. I would have had Trey Young in over Ben Simmons as well. I know Ben Simmons has been doing it on the defensive end, and maybe that's kind of slept on. But, I, I mean, 16-8-8 eight, and eight is, is nothing to, to sneeze at. But at the same time, I just think he wasn't as dynamic of a player. And it was a result of his team being in, in the top of the conference standings. So I agree with you there. For me, I would have put DeMar DeRozan in instead of CP3. The Spurs have been a a nice little surprise back into the playoff hunt in the West. I think they're sitting currently in sixth. Uh, They don't have a single all-star. And you've got DeMar DeRozan just sitting there averaging over 20 a game, seven boards, or I'm sorry, five boards and seven assists. I mean, that I'm not saying that – He's a complete snub, but if you're gonna not, <laughs> if you're gonna put a guy like CP3 in that's doing and Ben Simmons in, I think DeMar DeRozan should have found his way in. Squid Fair. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think you all make great points, and obviously they value winning in this. And like, if you're gonna go with that consistency, at least be consistent mean, with that logic, at least be consistent in that because you're gonna add a player like uh, Vucevic to the all star game and their team can't win a game. Meanwhile, you know, you have the Miami Heat and the New York, I mean, sorry, New York got a player, but you have Miami and Indiana who are in the playoffs and they don't have a player in there. So I just don't understand what the overall logic is when there's, it's not consistent across the board. Um, I think every year, just like the MVP all-star voting is, and sorry, all-star selections are kind of a narrative thing. Like it's just like players team. I mean, the media talks about a player and they get more media hype. So they're more likely to make an all-star game. I mean, Ben Simmons, yeah, the team's a one seed, but I don't really feel like he has much business being in there. And obviously I'm a Ben Simmons hater, but like, I don't know, man. I just, there's a lot of issues I see with it. If there's not going to be consistent across the board and that kind of goes over to the West, like you're talking about with Chris Paul. Um, but every year it seems like a player is obviously gets hurt and doesn't play in the all-star game. So the Celtics ended up getting Tatum starting uh, in the game and same out in the West where, Devin Booker was able to make the all-star game because I, b- I believe it was Anthony Davis or someone along those lines that can't play. So yeah. I don't know. I guess it evens out every year. Yeah. I, I agree with your point. I mean, if you're going to put, how can you put Vucevic in the game for the magic and leave out Bam out of bio that that makes or Sabonis. Yeah. Well, at least Sabonis got in. Fair, He's replacing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Good. Point. KD. So mm-hmm. they at least uh, silver commissioner silver was at least able to save face on that front, but you know, you've, you've got a guy like Bam Adebayo averaging 20 and 10 and no disrespect to Vucevic. I mean, his numbers, his, his numbers across the board are fantastic. It's just, if, if you value winning so much and you're going to give out all-star bids based on their team, I just don't understand the logic there. Um, so Bam is definitely a big snub. And it's kind of surprising to honestly see the Bucks only get Giannis. I know they're kind of not having a great regular season by their recent standards, but to see a guy like Chris Middleton not make the all-star game after he's been to the game last year, uh, that, that was 
kind of a little bit of a surprise, honestly. But that's what happens when you get a couple of new guys join the fray. Somebody's got to get cut. And Chris Middleton is, and Bam Adebayo are some of those casualties. Uh, now, the All-Star Draft, they've been doing this. I think it's, this is the fourth year now where the, two, the top vote getter in each conference is the captain of their own team. And they get to do a little snake draft and draft their teams. Uh, that will be coming up this Thursday, March 4th. Uh, given the, the talent pool that we've gone through, uh, are there any selections that you are would like to see made in particular but for LeBron or KD? Uh, I'll start. Um, I kind of would like to see LeBron take Zion because I would, I'm actually very intrigued about how that little dynamic would play out on the basketball court. Yes, you will get to see them play each other for years to come now that they're both in the Western Conference, but I'm interested to see them on the court on the same team. I think that could be a really cool sight to see. It, absolutely, yeah, that would, be, that would be a fun one. Um, just curious, is Kevin Durant still drafting even though he's not in the actual game anymore? As far as I am aware, he still is, even though he's been replaced in the game and replaced in the starting five. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. That's going to be a really weird dynamic. I I think it would be funny if KD didn't didn't pick one of uh, his teammates (laughs) to his team just as a a little snub there. But yeah, you know, maybe stir up a little controversy. I'm sure the media would have fun with just taking any jabs they can at Kyrie or Harden. So. Well, it's funny you bring up Kyrie because LeBron has picked Kyrie for his team every year that he's had the chance to. So the first two years that they did this draft, LeBron took Kyrie. And last year, Kyrie didn't make the game, so LeBron couldn't take him. Uh, So I wouldn't be surprised at all if LeBron took Kyrie uh, in in the middle of the round of the starters draft uh, just to kind of pull a fast one on KD if, if Durant doesn't draft his teammates or Kyrie right off the bat. It would be, it would be incredible if LeBron was, uh, went on there and said, yeah, I think I want a player who can close games and hit the big shot down the stretch. Uh, so I'm not <laughs> going to take Kyrie Irving. I'm going to take someone else. Just go straight jab at him right back in his face. Uh, Jonathan, any, any sort of draft pick you want to see made? Um, well, I guess you guys mentioned, uh, LeBron and Kyrie, which I was going to talk about a little bit, but maybe Durant selecting, well, no, you guys kind of said it, uh, (laughs) what I was going to say, but maybe Durant selecting Curry. I don't know if there's any, I don't think there's any bad blood there. I think the bad blood is really Durant and Draymond, but I'm more interested to see where, uh, Tatum starting, but I'm more interested to see where Jalen Brown gets selected, you know, a little Mm. Celtics reason, because I think it would be telling how, you know, players view Jalen Brown if he gets drafted, you know, towards the top of their reserves versus if he's one of the last reserves picked, which would probably be with like Sabonis and I don't know, maybe Chris Paul. Yeah. Like the, you know, the back end of the reserves or if he's at the top, because that would be telling to see how, you know, two of the game's best LeBron and Durant basically view him. Regardless, all I know is I hope is I as I hope that whoever's coaching uh, Jalen Brown's team does not do what Nick Nurse did to the Celtics last year by playing Kemba the whole game and us seeing Jalen Brown suffer the whole second half of the season with a knee injury again. <laughs> that that would be super unfortunate. I know Quinn Snyder's coaching one of the teams. I don't know who's coaching the Doc. other. Doc. It's Doc. 
Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> I don't think Doc would do us dirty, uh, but I wouldn't put a. I don't think. I don't think we can put anything past Quinn Snyder. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me run through a couple of other potential All Star snubs and get your thoughts on whether or not you guys think they could have or even should have been considered uh, for the game. Uh, Mike Conley for the Jazz. Should he, he have been considered? Should he have been in? No, they already have two All-Stars. I know they're a good team, but they already have two All-Stars. It's, that's good enough. Yeah, I'm a no on that as well. Uh, De'Aaron Fox for the Sacramento Kings, averaging 22-7-3. and three. Uh, 22-7-3, and three, not good enough on a not good team. Yeah, especially with the loss of the last nine games in a row, so I'm going to say no. Hmm. Uh, what about Brandon Ingram for the Pelicans? Just an awful team that already got Zion in. I think they really valued the, the team's record a little bit this year, and I think that that's why he got left off, so I'm fine with that. Yeah, and I'm okay with him being left off as well because when uh, Brandon Ingram forgets Zion's on his team and just keeps shooting the ball, it makes them a worse team, so I don't think he should be credited for being an all-star. Uh, what about our our old friend, now Charlotte Hornet forward, Gordon Hayward, having a renaissance year with Charlotte? What can you say? He's a renaissance man. Um, <laughs> that mustache he's got going. No, uh, Gordon Hayward, I, I I have no problem leaving him, leaving him out of the All-Star game, especially as he might be, you know, he might be that source that we've been hearing about in the media saying that uh, Tatum and Brown can't lead a team. Yeah, I mean that. I'm not surprised Gordon Hayward is doing good. He's a, he belongs in a, in an F list market like Utah or Charlotte, perfect place for him. That's LaMelo's team anyway. So fine with him being left off. Uh, now you've already mentioned a similar reason. So, but Tobias Harris for the 76ers. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm, I, I'm not there on Tobias personally. Every time I see Tobias actually get the opportunity to be like one of the guys, like for example, when Ben Simmons out last playoff series against Celtics, he was nothing. He's Tobias Harris is to me is empty calories most of the time. Yeah, I don't even know if Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris, if the Sixers are going to win something, I guess he'd be their number three. I'm not convinced that he can even be a number three on a championship team. Uh, nonetheless, an All Star. So yeah, I'm fine <laughs> with him being left off. And one more. Uh... What about undrafted guy, Fred Van Fleet, having a hell of a year for the Raptors? Ooh. I'm, I mean, I, I'm all for putting respect on Van Fleet's name, but I don't know. Just with, with what I saw out of the, out of the players who ha- had opportunity, I just don't think he was as good as other guys. Yeah, I agree. I just – I don't think he's – he's averaging 20 points. I mean, he's a nice player, but – I think the crop of talents too uh, too good for Fred Van Fleet. Hey, if, I mean exactly, and I, you know Van Vliet's a good player. But if you guys want to just go back to you know shitting on um, on Tobias Harris the next hour, I'm perfectly okay with that as well. <laughs> we we can take that into consideration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's let's take a look now that the first half is coming to a close in the next day or two. Uh, take a quick glance at the standings so far. Uh, we've got the 76ers atop the East and the Utah Jazz atop the West. In the East, it's kind of a three-horse race for the top seed between the Sixers, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Milwaukee Bucks, with everyone else kind of 
distanced behind them. Although it's not by much at this point, but uh, it definitely seems to be a three horse race in, in the East out West. It's definitely more competitive, but the jazz have built themselves a, a, a nice little lead atop the, the conference standings with the Lakers Clippers and the Phoenix suns uh, close behind. Uh, you've also got the New York Knicks of all teams sitting <laughs> in fourth place in the Eastern conference, 18 and 17. They're above 500 people. Uh, and you've also got our Celtics as well as the Miami heat sitting at 500 uh, after deep playoff runs last year uh, in the West. The, I've got the Spurs. Like I said, they're 17 and 13. They're having a nice little bounce back year. Uh, as well as Golden State, they're 19 and 16, sitting in a playoff spot right now, without even without Clay Thompson. And uh, despite the ridiculously slow start for the Dallas Mavericks, they're heating up. They're only one game back of a playoff spot. So I ask you guys, Squid, you'll start. Uh, any surprises, disappointments, or just thoughts in general about the standings so far? Yeah, I think my true Bostonian is going to come out here, and it's just. I'm going to talk about the New York Knicks because it's obviously the elephant in the room. How the hell are the New York Knicks this good? Um, or are they this good? It's something I'm just, I'm generally curious about or genuinely curious about because I, I mean, they have good, I mean, Julius Randall's playing well and they, Thibodeau has the boys believing that they can do something well, but I don't know. I'm not sure if they're actually going to stay at that spot. And to me, there is nothing better than Knicks fans having hope because I cannot wait for that to get ripped away from them and hear them all complain for the next three years. So I don't know. That's what sticks out to me. Um, besides that, I, I, I think it's pretty clear the teams that went deep in the bubble, for example, the Lakers, the Nuggets, um, the Celtics, and the Heat have all struggled. I mean, I know the Lakers record is a little bit better, but they've lost like five out of seven or something along those lines. So it seems they're all getting fatigued at this point of the season, and it's starting to make sense with such a short offseason. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks are definitely the big surprise, but I, I really think that has to do personally with the fact they have a coach who's known to play his stars into the ground and, and get the most on a night-to-night basis effort-wise. And I think the lack of fans is really helping that system this year because I think some guys just, as sad as it sounds, I just I think there's something about not having fans. It's, it's tough for some of these guys to get up every night you know, night in, night out for a game, uh, even though they probably should because the, they get paid ridiculous amounts of money. But yet a team that plays hard every night, they're just they're just going to win in a season like this. And any disappointments uh, that either of you would like to speak towards? Um, the Celtics. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll get into the Celtics. Trust me. Uh, but for me. I mean, I mean, it's got to be the Pelicans. I mean, one of these years, they've got to put it together, right? I, I feel like I've said this before in the past, and it doesn't matter whether they have AD and DeMarcus Cousins with uh, Drew Holiday or they've got Brandon Ingram with Zion Williamson and uh, Eric Bledsoe. It just doesn't matter what combination of really good talent that they seem to put together. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, they it's it seems like a defensive issue with them or it's all it's always something that's wrong. I feel like it's a defensive identity. And honestly, I know like I touched upon a lot throughout the offseason. It, it, I really do feel like it's a 
it's a team it's a team building kind of thing. I feel like they don't have really much floor spacing with what they have in the roster. I know Reddick's been hitting some threes lately, which has helped a lot, but do they just they don't have the floor spacing or really the defensive versatility that I'd like to see a team like that have with you know how much talent is on that roster. I mean that that, that roster is oozing with talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I with, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I, the other team I, disappointment I really want to talk about, and I know it's kind of going under the radar with how awesome their star player is, is the Dallas Mavericks. I mean, coming into the season after that series last year against the, against the Clippers, they looked pretty promising. I thought the Mavericks were going to come in and be contenders at least, or a dark horse contender to say the least. And you know, they just haven't lived up to the overall like hype that they had at the start of the season. Obviously, Luca was the favorite to win the MVP coming into the year by most sports books around, um, as well as just. You know, some offseason moves, they traded for a few um, wings like Josh Richardson. Uh, they drafted Josh Josh Green. Um, Porzingis obviously start, wasn't playing, and he hasn't been the best Porzingis we've ever seen. So I understand that. But at the same time, it seems like they've been missing a guy like Seth Curry, who's pretty much an automatic three if he's open. And they don't really have anyone to compliment Luka as they did last year. So I, they've been struggling. It's kind of been disappointing for me to watch, although they ripped our hearts out last week if you're a Celtics fan. That, that was – that was a heartbreaker that that was a tough watch because that that's just been that just kind of feels like it's been how the season has gone you think you you have hope you have hope you have hope and then at the end you just get your heart ripped out that's that's kind of where we're at with the celtics um before we get into our celtics conversation uh, i do want to get uh talk about some players in particular who have stood out or disappointed uh, so far in the season. Uh, I'll give two standouts for me. uh, And that would be, uh, I've already mentioned one. Uh, That would be Fred Van Fleet. He's averaging over 20 a game, four rebounds, six and a half assists, as well as 1.7 steals a game, which is top five in the league. Uh, He's also averaging the most minutes in the league. So, uh, Nick Nurse is running him into the ground because they simply just haven't had the bodies or the, the talent with guys departing and Siakam not playing up to his talent and capability. He's had no choice but to rely on a guy like Fred Van Fleet. And f- for the most part, Fred Van Fleet has answered the call. Uh, and another standout for me, that would be Jeremy Grant. He's having a hell of a year for the Pistons. I know it's the Pistons, but man, averaging over 23 points a game f- over five rebounds nearly three assists i mean this guy was a perennial like role player like fringe starter and then all of a sudden he, he comes to detroit and it's just who is this man yeah he he's but he it's kind of shocking but i guess it shows he's, he knew what his sailing was by not wanting to play with detroit and being the fourth option so he has been pretty good huh yeah i <sighs> A standout that uh, that I that I see, um, and I, I as far as stats wise, I don't necessarily think it's going to be a player that you're going to look at and say, "Oh, this guy has otherworldly stats." But it's Mikal Bridges on the Phoenix Suns. Um, he is just the perfect glue guy. He's a great he's a great defender on the wing. He can switch really well. He knocks down the three. I think he's shooting like forty three percent from from deep. Um, he can rebound really well. He's a great ball mover. I mean, he's everything you can ask for. Um, he's a Villanova product, so I'm not surprised with uh, J- Jay Wright kind of developing him into the player he is. But coming out of the draft, the 76ers made a huge mistake trading him out to Phoenix for um, – I forgot even who was four at this point. But 
Man, I don't he even remember. he uh, he he's been very impressive to say the least uh, down in Phoenix. Jonathan, any players that have stood out to you? Not on uh, the Celtics. Uh, on not on the Celtics. Yeah. Um, I would say honestly, I talked about this player very briefly earlier, but Lamelo Ball. I mean, he had a lot of hype coming out. He ended up slipping to three. I mean, Luka Doncic ended up slipping to three, and he had a lot of hype. I'm not – like, Lamelo is a different player than Luka Doncic, but I think this could be another another draft where it just comes down to you go, you know, why did Minnesota and um, Golden State, you know, overthink it at one and two when the best player didn't surprise anyone. Everyone knew who Lamelo Ball was coming into the draft. And this, you know, why did he slip there? Because he looks like he's just running away with rookie of the year as of right now. Hmm. He leads all rookies in points, rebounds, and assists. And there's only been one player, I think, in the last 60 years that did that. I don't know who it was, but just absurd. Yeah. That he's him and him and Gordon have been having a hell of a year for the Hornets. It's just not translated into a ton of wins. However, they are sitting in a playoff spot right now as things stand. They are below 500 at 16 and 18, but they would be the eighth seed if, if the season ended today. Uh, so not too shabby for, for that kind of group of misfits down in Charlotte. Uh, one disappointment that I do want to speak up towards, that's got to be Buddy Heald. He's averaging career lows in points per game. He's, he's averaging less than 16, which he hasn't done since his rookie season. Uh, I'm not really counting his rookie season, so uh, just make note of that. Uh, his And then rebounds, he's only four and assists three. He's shooting career worsts in field goal percentage and three-point percentage this year. Uh, I just – I think it's his fifth year in the league. This is just not the direction you want to be going especially when you're amidst what should be entering your prime years. And instead of trending upwards, he's trending in the wrong direction. And yes, he did become the fastest player in league history to make a thousand three pointers. Took him only 350 games, but this year it hasn't felt that that seems like kind of like a pity thing to kind of, lessen the blow of how bad he's been playing in my eyes. Yeah. You know, buddy's an interesting case. I know obviously towards the end of last year, after the, after the trade deadline, buddy was pretty much saying, I want out. Just please trade me. Stopped answering the coach's calls and did all that stuff. So I almost wonder if he's just playing like hopeless basketball where he's just kind of running around and just going through the motions, but not actually putting his full heart into the game which could be resulting in that or buddy is just regressing. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but I would like to see him in an, in, a, in, a, in another system where there's a lot more floor spacing and ball movement in it. So. Mm. All right. Yeah. So let's... I mean, he stinks this year. He stinks. <laughs> no, no two ways around it. Yep. All right. Let's, let's get into the main course. We got to talk about our Boston Celtics. Uh, they, as mentioned before, are sitting at uh, 500, which may or may not be where they should be, but certainly seems like a disappointment given the run to the conference finals last year. Uh, they went two and two last week. They lost, as we mentioned, at the buzzer to Dallas. 
they also lost at Atlanta as Trey Young buried them in an endless amount of threes. But then they bounced back. They've got wins against the Pacers and the Lowly Wizards, but they needed a Tatum, Tatum last-second magic yet again to win another game uh, at home. So they will. They are 17-17 entering tonight's showdown against the Clippers. Uh, looks like Jalen Brown is back. He missed a game or two due to knee soreness, so it's good to see him back in the lineup before the All-Star break. Um, but let's let's. I'm just gonna throw the question out there. I'm not gonna pull any punches here. Uh, like I said, the 17-17 record leaves a lot to be desired. So, Squid, I'll start with you. Who or what is to blame for this poor first half record? Oh man, um, honestly, you caught you caught me at a good time with this Celtics because if if we had done the show a week ago. Um, I was a, I was a very gloomy and uh, negative person, but you know, they've shown a little fight here, so i might hold back a little bit, but what I will say is I do think, uh, in my opinion, Danny Ainge should get most of the, uh, blame. The reason I say that is because on a nightly basis, the Celtic, we don't know if the Celtics are going to get, you know, more than 10 points from any player besides Tatum or Brown. Like if, especially if Kemba's not playing, like Kemba's picked it up a little bit here in the last, like week or two where he's now averaging like over the last like I don't know 10 games he's played or something like that it's like 22 points per game which is kind of more like the Kemba we know Mm -hmm. um I will say though like there's behind outside of those three you have no idea if you're gonna get 10 points a game from anyone else or if you can consistently rely on anyone else to give you 10 points which is just absolutely pathetic um especially with how deep our bench was a few years ago with that you know that Kyrie team that lost the Bucks in the what first or second round um I just I don't understand how we got here. Um, I'm not going to fault Tatum and Brown. They're playing good basketball and they're clearly exhausted. Um, just having to carry the load constantly and just getting absolutely nothing from the bench when they come out of the game. It seems like they have to do everything. And I honestly, I, I, I blame it on Ainge. I don't know. He seems like he's missed on a lot of things. And uh, I, I guess it, it leaves me kind of sad to think because I, I love Danny Ainge. Before you get going, Jonathan, two things. One, I do have Kemba's last five games. He's he's averaged twenty three point two points per game over his last five, so that's certainly an improvement. And then just to piggyback off of you, and something that Nick and Jonathan tweeted out for the cool zone, uh, Danny Ainge's reluctance to pull the trigger on a trade unless they think they're quote they're going to bury you, that being the other team, and just basically just steal your lunch money in a trade as one West executive told ESPN's Tim Bontemps. Uh, so yeah, Danny Ainge definitely deserves some of the blame, if not more of the blame than anyone else. Cause this is his roster. He put it together. He's the one who hoarded all the draft picks and decided to keep them instead of trading them. And now you're, you're stuck with a roster, which is laden with guys in their first or second years third years and you're stuck with what you have and uh, it's, it's time for them to tighten up uh jonathan go ahead who do you blame i think the the main blame is definitely on danny ainge i just mismanaged assets like as i've said in other pods but i'll say for the first time on this one those two picks the sacramento pick and then the memphis pick that everyone thought was going to be so high like, oh, my God, it might be, like, top five. 
this one might be top, you know, six or whatever. They're going to get studs. And they both end up at 14. So Danny didn't trade them when they had more value than they did because he wanted to hold on to them. Just to have those picks turn into Romeo Langford, who's yet to play a minute this season, was hurt in college, was hurt in his rookie year, has no track record to say to you that he's going to be healthy when he comes back, which who knows when, because he was supposed to be back in February. It's now March. They say after the all-star break, and I don't think there's any, no one knows when he's coming back. And Aaron Neesmith, uh, a fan favorite of mine that <laughs> can't get on the court to save his life, you know, consistently had a DMP coach decision last game. Uh, the Celtics are almost on the end of the first half in their game tonight. He's another DMP coach decision. So it's like, if you hold the picks and not trade for established, you know, role players, someone like maybe like last year, like David Davis Bertans, you know, these aren't guys that are the best players or like part of a big three that can win a championship, but they're real legit contributing role players, which if you keep the picks, you have to make, you have to, you have to draft role players and solid players. And when you draft Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith, then it's, it falls solely on the GM. He is in charge of making the roster and he has borderline failed in my opinion with this roster as, as Anthony said, I mean, they were so loaded just two years ago and now it's like their bench is just awful. It's, it's horrible. And, and, and right. And that almost goes into like, how, how is it possible that we got here considering like most teams in the league, their biggest issue is finding the stars that make a, ch- a championship team go and Boston doesn't have that issue. They have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who are the brightest young stars you could possibly imagine. It's the fact that you can't find average bench players that you can pick off any scrap heap anywhere. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me how we can't find those players. And, you know, it, to the point, you know, we keep drafting these young guys. It's like, eventually you got to stop drafting young guys and just trade them in for, I mean, who knows, maybe Aaron Naismith, Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford will be good players in a couple of years. But as of right now, you know, you just gotta, you gotta find those role players and get those players that are, are going to compliment Brown Tatum and Kemba really well by being able to knock down threes consistently on the outside. So they space the floor for Tatum Brown and Kemba to go to work inside the paint or throw lobs for Robert Williams. It just doesn't seem like we, you know, can find those complimentary players, which is blasphemy. Yeah. I mean, they, they kept preaching, like you gotta be patient. You gotta be patient. And you sign Kemba Walker, who's an aging guy to the max. Now you get two all-stars in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. The time for waiting is over. This, this is a win now team. Because as much as you might fear this, this thing that is coming, Tatum and Brown are both up next year and Brown's in his first year on that second contract where they become unrestricted free agents at the end of it. And if you don't start putting together real serious teams in the next two or three years, you could be looking at the next, you know, disgruntled star that's looking to get traded. And that's a real dangerous proposition that you could have building here as long as the team stays middling you know, in the Eastern conference. Absolutely. Like all no, no year. Like you can't waste any years at this point, including this year. You have to, you absolutely have to find those players that are going to compliment them because you're right. We don't want these teams trying to see if they can pull pluck Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown from us. So Danny Ainge, it's on you, bud. You got to go find, stop, stop going on toucher and rich every morning and telling us, Oh, you know, we've came close in a few deals, but we haven't really, you've been saying that for three years, man. You got, you're at some point, you got to pull the trigger and make a trade. That's going to um, compliment the players. Well, and 
you can't, and obviously it's hard because you don't want to, you know, use this TPE on, on an expiring contract or someone that's going to only help this year and then screw yourself the next three years. You need to put your big boy pants on, maybe overpay a little bit for a guy like Harrison Barnes or a, a player like that that's going to be complimentary to, the, to your big three. Yeah, I mean, that's been Danny and his problem. I think that Western exec nailed the nail on the head. I mean, Danny Ainge, in my, in my eyes, always tries to make a trade where it's like an A-plus for the Celtics and like a D or an F for the for the opposition team. He can never make a trade where it's like a C for him and a B for the other team or a B for him and a B for the other team. He It's like he refuses to make a trade that can benefit both sides. He has to completely pants the opposition, and that's came and bite him in the ass the last few seasons where he can't deal anything. Like he just – we talked about before in the offseason that they were going to sign and trade Gordon Hayward to Indiana for McDermott and Miles Turner. So, yeah, okay, that deal fell through because Charlotte came in and offered him a huge contract, but that didn't come until the Saturday. They could have traded him on the Friday, and McDermott would be perfect off this Celtics bench shooter. You know, he's nothing special, but he's just a good role player, which is what this team needs. And Miles Turner is a center that's young. You know, he kind of would line up more with the – Tatum Brown core era age wise. And he just thought that the, you know, they tried to get Oladipo too in that deal. Cause Danny Ains had to, you know, one up the Pacers. He thought he had all the leverage and then Gordon Hayward went and signed. And now you get this TPE, which the Celtics have basically came out and said, you know, where it's better to use it in the off season, we're going to try to use it in the off season. So it makes you think that, you know, who even knows if they're going to use it. You had real established players that could have helped this team this year. And Miles Turner and Doug McDermott, and you just, you know, he had to get Victor Oladipo. You had to get a bigger, bigger piece of the pie, and it it bit him in the ass. And yeah, and that you you make a great point. It's like eventually you just got to make a you know a B for a B trade or whatever that may be. And it, I I think for the Celtics historians, it goes like Danny Ainge learned all his lessons growing up from Red Auerbach, or I, I believe that's correct. I uh, Red was was Red, I mean, or at least through, through Celtics history, knowing. You know, Red Auerbach was one of those guys that always screwed the other teams. But Danny Ainge thinks he always has to screw the other team. And eventually Danny's got to face reality that, you know, you can just trade a player, like a couple young players who are promising for a good player now to actually help this current team. Yeah. Danny Ainge isn't the only smart GM in the league. There's there's many smart GMs in the league that know talent and aren't willing to fall into Danny's trap and get swindled. Especially with how, how far along uh, sports and analytics are, the sports analytic data is at this point. Yeah, I mean, you these, guys, these GMs are like all oh, Ivy League guys now, for crying out loud. I mean, they're not stupid. No. Do you guys know who leads the NBA in blocks per game? It's definitely Miles, Miles Turner, Turner, right? Miles Turner is averaging an absurd three and a half blocks a game. No, nobody else, that, I think there are two people, other people that are averaging more than two blocks a game. I think Gobert is averaging like two, two and a half, two point eight, somewhere in that range, and somebody else is averaging like two point three. Although, I I will say about about uh, Miles Turner, him coming in would completely diminish anything, any uh, growing sense we have with Time Lord, who is my guy. I I I understand that, but you wouldn't have Tristan Thompson on the roster. I think. Yeah, I was gonna say he'd. Miles Turner would start. He'd play all Tristan Thompson's minutes, and Time Lord would still be in his bench role as he is yeah. right now. At that Fair point, enough. I would just diminish Tice's role and have him play like 12, 15 minutes a game. I'm sure that would piss him off, but I'm I maybe have him <laughs> play a limited role, give Time Lord more minutes to help encourage his development, and have 
Miles Turner be playing that 25, 28 minutes, get Robert Williams close to 20 minutes a game at least, and then Tice give him whatever the scraps are in the front court. You just you hit it on the head too because it seems like a Celtics are scared of offending Daniel freaking Tice. Who cares? Who cares yeah. if you offend Daniel Tice? Play Robert Williams 30 minutes. I'm sick Please. of it. He's clearly our best big. I mean, most of the time he's our best big man. Yeah. That that and we will get to Robert Williams a little bit more uh, later. Uh, but a couple other things that you could also blame for the Celtics poor start. Uh, Kemba's inability to return to his all-star form. I mean, he is, he's only recently showing flashes of it in the past five games, which we mentioned, but still on the season, he's only shooting 39% from the field, 36% from three. That's just not going to cut it. He's got to be shooting over 40% on both of those. Uh, if, if the Celtics have any hopes of making it back to the conference finals and trying to make it back to the NBA finals for the first time in close to a decade. Uh, but there's another, you can also, if you really want to uh, p- play the woe is me card, you could also blame the plethora of injuries and health protocols that the Celtics have had to deal with. Multiple guys have had to sit out games due to COVID. They had a, a mid season shutdown where they missed Uh, I believe it was three games postponed due to COVID protocols. You've had, uh, you've had Jalen Brown miss a game here and there due to knee soreness. Marcus Smart has been out for the past few weeks due to injury. Tatum was out. Tatum missed extra, an extra handful of games due to the COVID protocols. And obviously Kemba didn't start his season until mid January. And no back to backs for him as well. uh, Yeah. So you, you, can, you can still play the injury card if you want as to why the Celtics have, have just been unable to put it together so far this season. But at the end of the day, they have enough talent at the top in that starting lineup where they – and that's across the board, really, where they should be better than this. And they need to figure it out, and they need to figure it out fast. So uh, – Jonathan, I'll start with you. What needs to change in order for the Celtics to turn things around? Well, they need to get healthy. That's for sure. And they need someone to take a leap if they're not going to make a trade. So that would mean like Time Lord has to turn into like a legit starting caliber big. Kemba has to turn in back into his all NBA self, which I, I don't think is going to happen or someone off the bench, like Romeo Langford or Neesmith or Pritchard. I don't think it's him, but someone has to turn into like, they got to come out of nowhere and take like a humongous leap in the second half. That's the only way that this team is going to get, you know, better than they are right now without making a deal. And I just don't know if that's going to happen. I I'm not very hopeful for the Celtics in the second half, but maybe I'll be wrong. You know, maybe Romeo Langford dude's been off for a year. Maybe he'll come, come in and be a stud. <laughs> the product. Probably son. not, but <laughs> I mean, if you're holding out hope on, on Glassman, Romeo Langford year, you're probably in a down bad. I'll just say that. And the Celtics are down pretty bad right now. The one thing I will say about 
about uh, the Celtics' hopes in the second half is, you know, we will get Marcus Smart back. He's a he's a shot creator. Um, not not him actually shooting the shots, but him setting other guys up. Um, that's obviously going to be big. Getting healthy there. Um, Romeo Langford, no, he's not going to come in and be otherworldly. But I do think last year when Romeo did get like flashes of minutes there, he was a good defender and could knock down some threes. So, you know, I, I hope I hope he can stay healthy and get that opportunity and. Brad Stevens, I will flip a table if you don't play him or Neesmith in the second half of the season. I really will. Because you got at some point, you got to say, all right, are these guys good or not? Because if they're not, we have to move on from them and get the, those guys now. So I do, I would love, I would absolutely love to see uh, Romeo and Neesmith get some run in the second half. Uh, at the same time, for in order for the Celtics to uh, get back to where we all think they can get to, obviously Tatum and Brown need to keep it up, but I, I don't see them letting up at any point. Uh, and then I think it's going to take Smart um, coming back and being Marcus Smart as well as Kemba Walker kind of keeping up his hot streak that he's on right now. Cause if Kemba's averaging 22 a game, that's all you can ask for out of a third option. Um, I honestly, I, I really do think the Celtics can make some improvements, improvements around the edges, even without using the TPE. So whether that's, you know, taking Tristan Thompson's $10 million contract and trading him for a piece or, you know, trading Daniel Tice, cause he's probably going to ask for some money this offseason, and the Celtics should not pay him. So there is opportunities to improve around the edges, maybe adding a guy like, like a PJ Tucker of the sorts and not wasting the TPE. So I think there's ways to improve at the same time. Just um, it's going to take some, it's going to take some luck here with injury and just some team chemistry building, but you know what? I'm going to, it seems like a long mount, uh, a tall mountain to climb right now, but I, I'm still a believer. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to echo uh, both of your sentiments. Uh, they obviously they have to get healthy for the second half in any potential playoff run and they got to stay healthy. And obviously that has just not been the case whatsoever this year. Uh, last time we talked NBA and Celtics, uh, we, we threw out a stat that the, the core of Tatum Brown, Kemba and smart had only played two games together. Uh, and that was about a month ago. Yeah. That's still, still true. They've still only played two games and 28 minutes total together. That's, that's just, I mean, that that puts you in a really tough spot to succeed. So that's got to change uh, down the stretch. Uh, and like you said, Squid, you, they, the, they got to allow the bench players to settle into some roles here. You cannot have a guy like Aaron Neesmith who comes in. He has this stretch of coaches DNPs, like Jonathan said. Then you start playing him 20-plus minutes a game for six straight games. He was getting – he almost played 30 minutes in a game back in mid-February against the Wizards after not playing a single second against the Pistons two nights before. Then, then at the end of that stretch, he plays 14 minutes against the Hawks and scores 13 points. So what do you do in the next game? You play him seven minutes and he doesn't get a shot up. And then he doesn't play a single second after that. Well, can I can I say something on that? Yes. So, uh, Squid, you you probably don't know, but I, I'm a big Aaron. Ne- Nick and I are huge Aaron Neesmith guys. We love us some Aaron Neesmith. Um, Aaron Neesmith was on the court in that final game, uh, that final second against Dallas, and Nick is pretty convinced, and I, I'm fairly convinced that he blew the assignment on that last play that that led to the Luca three. I know it was a ridiculous three from 35 feet, but Neesmith kind of just let him pull up from wherever he wanted. Didn't really put a hand in his face. 
I'm on to a spot. And then the next game, yes, he had 13 points, but that was the blowout in Atlanta, and Neesmith didn't play really. He played, I think he played six minutes in the the quarters one through three, and then all his points actually came in the fourth quarter, and they were down like 30 points. And the only reason he was in, it was him and, you know, Tremont Waters and Taco. They played like eight minutes in that fourth quarter, so he was like a number one option there. And then he played seven minutes in the next game against Indiana. His only shot was an airball three, and now we, we haven't seen him since. So It sounds I, like a confidence thing. I, I've, yes, I do. He's terrified. He's the best shooter in the draft. He played um, – Nick, was it the Dallas game where he played uh, 22 minutes and didn't take a shot? Yes. Yeah. Un- unbelievable. How do you draft a guy for shooting? That's, that's what he's hyped on coming in out of college. His shot, his shot, his shot. And the, the dude almost plays half a game and doesn't take a single shot. It, it still baffles my mind how that even happens. And I, I want to echo that because – not knowing you two uh, fellows are, are Neesmith guys, as as am I. I'm a absolutely massive, uh, massive on Aaron Neesmith. Uh, I, I really wanted the Celtics to draft him before the season started. I did like a little uh, thing where I basically just ranked every. I mean, I had a little, a little blog about each player in the draft, and I said Aaron Neesmith has a floor of Buddy Hield. He's a six six player who shoots fifty two percent from three. This guy is going to be an absolute assassin in the NBA. We might be looking at next Clay Thompson. He's a sleeper, and he comes in here and he goes through these games without playing. I mean. That's why I say I'm going to freak out if they don't play him because I know he's going to be good. I know he is, but like you have to give him consistency and let him shoot the ball. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Jonathan may be uh, using a little bit of sarcasm in his uh, Aaron Nesis fandom, uh, but okay. I'll, gotcha. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let him uh, clarify that if he so wishes to. Look, we, we are Neesmith guys. Nick and I were big Neesmith guys, but uh, I'm I'm let's just say I'm not really surprised of what he's doing right now. The a a guy that was hyped up as the best shooter in the draft coming to the Celtics, I said to myself, "There's no way this guy shoots over like 35% from three. That's that's just the Celtics. Like that's just that's just gonna happen. The best shooter in the draft is gonna come in and and not know how to shoot. And uh, unfortunately, as of right now, I think that's that coming true and that's that that sounds right i hope that he can figure it out but i don't have much faith in him uh shooting is confidence and he has no confidence and that and sadly that's the case currently but you know i i do i do look at aaron neesmith and and hope that he figures it out because when he does hit his threes, I mean, his jumper looks so clean. It comes out of his hands. Amazing. So I really do hope someday that the Celtics can actually find a player who can actually shoot the basketball like a, a, from a catch and shoot stance. Yeah. Because he's, a, he's, he, uh, in his defense, if I was to, if I was to defend him, I would say this, uh, we, we went back and I looked at Aaron Neesmith from his two years at Vanderbilt. So his freshman year, he shot 33% from three. Then his sophomore year, he shot, it was like 52%. That was his big year. But he got hurt uh, midway through the season. And he only played 10 games his sophomore year. And actually, he got hurt in their first SEC game. So the first nine games of their season was against, like, all that lower competition. Like, he played, like, Georgia State and, like, South Southern, like, Carolina. Like, a bunch of schools you've, like, never even heard of before. You've never you know, heard small- of South Carolina? South Carolina State. 
They played like UMass. <laughs> they played like no offense, but they they played like UMass Lowell level competition. Hey, hey, you put some hey. on UMass Lowell's name. We are in our conference semifinals. Hey. Okay, well they played teams from like those type of conferences, and then right, continue. He played ten games against them, and then they go from there. And then the next time you play competitive basketballs in the NBA, is a little bit of a leap, yes. to say the least. So, I love saying. We love this saying, uh, Squid, you probably don't know, but maybe he just needs time. Dude might just need time. Sadly, yep. And, you know, I, I, I think that's a great point. I was, I was just looking at a guy like uh, Malik Monk today. Uh, he's, his last, like, five games, he's like, had, like, 25, 25, 29, 24 points. Like, all of the board just coming up the bench and absolutely cooking for Charlotte. In the first three years he's had in the league, he has not been it. So sometimes it just takes guys time to figure out their shot in the league. Uh, but you know what, if, when it turns, when it comes to confidence, the only way you can really build that is consistent run. And I don't mean playing a guy 25, 30 minutes a game. I mean, giving them a consistent role where you know that you, you've got 15 minutes or so each game to go out and do what you do best, not have to sit on the bench and worry about is coach going to even put me in today? Like, am, am I going to get to take the warm off up? warm up off today like that that can get in the players heads if they lack the confidence which it's clearly he he lacks at this point so yeah and just giving him the chance go ahead Jonathan and outside of the starting five uh I really think that is true there's like no defined roles it's like everyone basically has gotten a chance to start this year literally everyone on the bench has started a game this year except for Neesmith and Taco mm-hmm. and it's just like where are these guys' roles? I mean, Javante Green, I'm watching the Celtics right now. Javante Green started two days ago, started against the Wizards and played 30 minutes. He has not played a single minute this game. That, that, I mean, that where's the consistency no there? Where's the consistency at all? There's none. And so that, that comes down to Brad Stevens. And yep. he just doesn't have his rotations figured out yet, which halfway through the season, I'm sorry, even with all the injuries, you should probably know which guys you should be playing more minutes and which people you should be playing less minutes. Now you should not be having these kind of fluctuations where a guy goes from coaches DNP to 29 minutes or 30 minutes as a starter to zero. That, that's just, that that's just asinine in my opinion. And so the last thing that I want to make a point of, uh, and it's kind of along the lines of allowing the bench players to settle into their roles, one bench player in particular, Robert Williams. Squid, you've already talked about him. Give him 30 minutes a game. I am on that bandwagon. He's only been getting 16 minutes a game so far this season. And his numbers and his work has been great. I mean, when he's been afforded the opportunity to go – close to 20 minutes he's put up some really good stat lines so why not while your team is clearly struggling and out of sorts due to injury and whatnot give robert williams a chance in the starting five give him starters minutes and so my think is my thinking is why haven't they why haven't they given him that chance is it because like we said before is it because they're scared of pissing off a Tristan Thompson or a Daniel Tice by not having them start most of the season uh I sure as hell hope not so then is it because you don't think that Robert Williams has the conditioning to handle that kind of workload if that's the case that's kind of an issue that's kind of problematic because that means 
I, uh, he's got to he's got to figure that out, or else this is literally his ceiling. And if his ceiling is 15 minutes a game off the bench, I mean, I'm sorry, but there that's there's not a, a much of a future for him aside from just a role player off the bench, and that would be disheartening. So, I've, go ahead. I have a, I have a, I have a huge conspiracy theory on Robert Williams. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I want to hear this. <laughs> so, um, Robert Williams is clearly just an absolutely absurd talent. The guy can just jump and t- catch anything. Um, I like to call him Rob Williams. I know Time Lord's obviously his nickname. Regardless, um, Rob, Rob, I, I personally think that if they give Rob all the minutes, Rob is going to break out and he's going to become a very expensive player with a contract looming over the next year or two. And I hate to say it, I just feel like the Celtics are trying to manage him at low minutes and keep his stats down and kind of keep him a you know, a little hidden secret around the NBA circles. So when his contract comes up and Tyson Thompson are gone, they can have a very cheap center for the next four years to that. It's going to be, you know, not star level, but really solid center to go alongside Tatum and Brown. And oh, that's something that I get, I completely get from uh, Brad and Angel's standpoint, but at the same time, like we need the help now. And uh, <laughs> I want to see him play more. So that you've got is the- uh... You yes. said it right. When you said that's a conspiracy theory, you had that right. That's a conspiracy theory, if I've ever heard one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big brain move if they are really looking that far out in advance into locking Robert Williams up. Literally contain his minutes to mere role player minutes so that we don't have to give him a big deal and just give him like Tice's money or Thompson's money when all is said and done. Well, yeah, we, we a- know the Celtics don't like paying bigs. I mean, unless you're Kevin Garnett, you know, or Al Horford, apparently. Um, we know the Celtics don't like paying big. So at, at the point, like, I mean, I get it. Like, if you're, if you're going to get the same production at him right now as Thompson and Tyson, obviously, like, I get it. But, I mean, I want to see the guy play more. And even if he does get expensive, that's fine. If he come, becomes great, that's fine. Like, that means he's great. And that's what you want, you know? I, I think that. I mean, while you've got a Marcus Smart out and out of the lineup and you're continually starting two bigs, why not start Robert Williams with one of them? I, I just don't understand it. <laughs> and you know exactly what you're going to get from Tyson Thompson. You know exactly what you got to get from those two. Tyson is just a three po- corner three guy on offense. He, he's just going to – the guy that just sits out on the perimeter on offense, pick and pops – not really doing a whole lot down low and, and just kind of does his thing on defense, gets you some boards, Tristan Thompson, low post presence, crashing the boards can sort of protect the rim, but not, not really to the level that you would like. I know he's on the tail end of his, not tail end, but he's kind of on the back <laughs> end of his career. I'll say given what that he's just kind of on a carousel at this point going from team to team. Um, so why not see what you have in Robert Williams? I, I just, I just don't get it. Give anyone a shot. Anyone who watches basketball can't tell me that, that Daniel Tice or Tristan Thompson is better at basketball than Rob Williams. And at some point you ought to play him. I, I have, I have, I mean, I think it stems to a deeper issue of Brad's rotations. Like for example, we're, we're into the third quarter now in this Clippers game. And, uh, like last time we played the Clippers, Carson Edwards had a great game. He had 16 points and, you know, maybe they played him that game because it was a matchups thing. And now we're playing him again. He hasn't seen the floor and I'm not asking for Carson Edwards, but like be consistent with the mat with the, with the rotations you have. I just don't understand what Brad's doing 95% of the time. Hmm. Yeah. Can I just say, I, 
I think what what their their reasoning is, at least publicly, maybe behind the scenes, Squid, you might be onto something. But publicly, they're saying <laughs> that they're like they're playing him limited minutes because of his hip injury. They're trying to, you know, ease him into the action, which is great because that means that of your top like six or seven players, Time Lord's got a lingering issue, Kemba's got a lingering issue, and Jalen Brown's got a lingering issue. So that's definitely a recipe for success, if you ask me. Yeah, Mark, you can add Marcus Smart. I'm sure he'll have a lingering issue too <laughs> yeah. when he comes back. And Tatum's got a uh, COVID issues apparently. So that's just. Everything's coming up Celtics. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Healthiest team in the league. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Rob Williams can touch touch the top of the backboard. There's no way in hell his hip hurts that bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I man. mean, given that he just can just go up and get lobs at will, all you have to do is throw it in the neighborhood of the rim, and he'll just deposit it in the rim from up above. Yeah, I'm 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 willing to take that. Um, but. All right, I'm just going to ask you guys point blank, given all that we've talked about about the Celtics and how they've played so far and what their outlook appears to be going forward. Are the Celtics toast this year in terms of getting another deep playoff run and trying to win a championship? As of today, yes. Uh, I'm sorry if that's not the answer people are looking for but i mean six seed in like the east right now that would mean all your playoff matchups are on the road when there's going to be you know fans you know maybe you get into june july late may you're talking about hopefully you know 40 maybe 50 percent capacity hypothetically all on the road if you have all your series on the road you're going nowhere period going nowhere I mean, I, and, and this is, this is me. Cause I don't like Daniel Tice. I, as long as Daniel Tice is a st- Celtic starting center, um, they are not going anywhere. I just, for whatever reason, I I'm serious. And I mean this, I'm not trying to put blame on Daniel Tice, but it just, I, I don't see this team doesn't have, but this team doesn't have that, like Don, this enforcer, this leader. I, I, and I, I'm not putting that on Daniel Tice, but this team doesn't have it. And I, and they won't have it until they make a trade or mix it up a little bit. And, you know, get some new faces in here or, I mean, I don't know. And I also just think the Nets, the Nets, the way they're playing basketball ball right now are way too good for the Celtics to be contenders. Yeah. It, it hates, I hate to say it, but uh, we've done way too much agreeing, but I can't, I can't start now. Uh, they, they are, they are toast unless Kemba, as we've said, rounds into form and Ainge makes that big impact move to bring in a potential difference maker a la a Harrison Barnes that we've, we've thrown out there before. Um, I, I just, this team needs to either just figure it out completely and turn it around from within, or they need somebody to sort of come in and provide a shock to the system uh, where with along with guys rounding into form and improving and from what I've seen so far, that doesn't appear to be very likely. Maybe you get Kemba back in the form, but I'm not really seeing much promise elsewhere. So uh, I think unless you see more of that and a deal to bring in another guy, I just don't – I don't like it. I don't like the Celtics' chances this year, especially not 
with Brooklyn playing the way they are, even without a Kevin Durant. So that's that's just uh, I don't like it. Don't think they've got a good shot, especially when they haven't even won three games in a row since the first week of January. I mean, how how much more five hundred could you be? Can I add one thing in real quick? Yes. If if the first guy at the bench on your team is Semi Ojale, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's it's getting old, man. He like it's just it. There, there's depth issues. There's there's leadership issues. There's there's a lot of issues, and it can all be solved by mixing it up. But it just it doesn't seem to be it this year, especially with the talent that's out in the league. Mm-hmm. And lastly, uh, we'll take a look ahead to the Celtics uh, schedule coming out to start the second half. They obviously they'll play Toronto on this coming Thursday before they get into the All Star break. But coming out of the All Star break, they have seven of their first twelve against teams five hundred or below. But seven of those twelve are also on the road. Uh, so my final question to you guys, and Squid, you can start. How crucial is it for the Celtics to get off to a hot start? when they're coming out of the all-star break. I mean, they're going to have to because their they're one excuse right now is they're not healthy and they're not rested. It sounds like they're going to be healthy and rested coming off the all-star break. So they have to. I mean, last time we had a conversation on this podcast about their upcoming schedule, they had like the next three games were like the Knicks, the, the Pistons, and someone else in the net, in the Nuggets. And they lost like s- seven out of 10. And it was terrifying because it was the, the best stretch we had all year as far as bad teams. So, I mean, if they don't, if they don't, get better than a 500 team in the next 10 games. I think they pretty much are what they are at this point, And they're going to be looking on to next season. Yeah. I mean, you said seven out of the first 12, they open up on the road at Brooklyn. I think they have a double back to back with Milwaukee in there, both on the yep. road, but <laughs> you got to go. I mean, at eight and four, it, it like at worst, honestly, like that's like, that sounds kind of high, but, for this team, it's just so sick of them win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game. And they should be praying that they play Thursday's game against Toronto because Toronto is – they have, like, no one. They're playing <laughs> tomorrow night at Detroit, so you would get them on the second night of a back-to-back with basically no one on their roster. Yeah, um, no coaches, no yeah. players. like, and... and the game before the All-Star break, dude, Toronto, t- I lot, Tampa, I mean, they're – they'll they'll be out of it they'll be they'll be out of it if you you should pray that you get to play them because that's an that should be an easy win it Uh, should be so if you lose that game if you lose that game going into the all-star break that might be a backbreaker that might honestly be sticking the fork in the season before the second half can even get underway if you lose a game like that to a team that doesn't even have a good chunk of their roster has no coaching staff whatsoever because they're all in COVID protocols themselves. Like they're just throwing whoever they have in the organization out there just to be able to play, get these games in. If you lose that game, oof. <laughs> I mean, the Celtics are fortunate. They're at 500 right now with how these last few games have gone. Obviously, they beat the Pacers, but they barely pulled that out against the Wizards. And, you know, if the Celtics somehow go into the All Star break two games over 500, uh, maybe we're being a little harsh, but. Man, I, it's not looking good if we don't win that one against Toronto. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts before we bid adieu here? 
I, I mean, the um, last thing, the last thing I have to say is play Robert Williams. That's all I ask you is play Robert Williams. Just get consistent with your rotations, please. You've, you've played 35 games. This is your 35th game of the season. You're literally halfway through at the all-star break. You need to establish roles on this team. Yep. Brad Stevens, figure it out. Please. Please. That's why I pay the big bucks. Yep. All right. So that's going to do it here for another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. Make sure you go check out the other podcasts in the Moth and Off Sports family, that being the aforementioned Cool Zone pod with Nick and Jonathan. There's Foxborough Files. I think they still exist. Uh, you'd have to check them out on Spotify to see if they've updated anything in the past like month. Uh, and then you've got the Mouth and Off sp- Sports Pod. Uh, they've been getting back into the game. So go check that out as well. But for Squid, Jonathan, and producer Nitchie, I'm Ryan Brown. We'll see you next week.